0: with the margin debt and unemployment, like when this falls, it is insane. Like, because it's it's gonna gonna fall through the floor. It's gonna
1: fall through the floor. But here's the deal, when it falls- um, Goose pimples.
0: (laughs) This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Dougles, that like to debate about investing. Content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing. Good morning, dude. you you've got your uh
1: your Corvat
0: going on or whatever over there. I like it.
1: Oh yeah, no, this is uh one of my masks. Okay, <laughs> I I just assumed it was heater issues. I'm ready to rob this pub podcast (laughs) (laughs) all right so i want to kick us off today Douglas, with uh, a quick important question for you and i'm going to pull up some video so i've really been wondering how i can quit my job and make money from home do you have any suggestions for me
0: is that is that the that's the full question
1: that's the full question
0: and am I answering how uh, how one could do it? Should one do it? Should Skippy do it? Does Skippy have skills and talent to do either his job or something at home? What, what, I mean, what question am I answering?
1: just like, let's say I wanted to make like, you know, I have 500 bucks. I wanted to make like 20K a month. Like, you got any ideas for me?
0: Oh, man. I think it gets into gets into understanding, like, uh, your own risk tolerance and financials. And all right,
1: I'm going to, I'm going to rudely interrupt because, uh, I want to have that conversation about when I like take my sabbatical or, or move on to start my own company. But right now I'm just joking and I want to play a great video for you. We're Uh, going to hold on, hold on. on. What was this? Are you just catfishing me? Here we go. So how do we make money from home? For starters, this is not a sponsored video. We just get this question all the time. And honestly, the answer is really simple.
0: So basically, I just trade stocks on an app called Robinhood, which I left a link in our bio if you want to check it out. It's free to download, free to sign up. They actually give you a free stock, so they're paying you to sign up. Um, But again, not sponsored. And I know trading sounds intimidating. Here's my strategy in a nutshell. I see a stock going up and I buy it and I just watch it until it stops going up and then I sell it and I do that over and over and it pays for our whole lifestyle. Um, if you're wondering how much you can make doing this, in this month I turned about 400 into 14,000. And in this month I turned less than a thousand into twenty thousand.
1: And honestly, my favorite part about this isn't even the amount of money you can make, but just the fact that we don't have to go to a nine to five job. Yeah,
0: we can focus on things that we actually enjoy doing. So if you have friends that like want to make money from home, you can tag them or send them a link. Or if you make money this way, share it in the comments so other people know like there's more people doing this now.
1: Just a couple a couple gems. So this is from TikTok investors or something, right? So first of all. They they go out of the way of saying it's not a paid promo. Then <laughs> they tell people what Hood is. Then they uh, have screenshots uh, that says he turned four hundred bucks into fourteen thousand, and I think he said like five hundred bucks into twenty thousand. That's their their typical month. Is there, cannot- to,
0: is there a way to display a face palm emoji via audio? <laughs>
1: I cannot even tell you. Like, if this does not signal that the market is crazy overvalued and people have no clue what they're doing, I don't know what does. It's the funniest thing I've seen this week.
0: <laughs> I one, um, I love I actually I love that video. Because it's like when when you find the epitome of a thing, it just it's so it brings us clarity. And I agree yeah. that that uh when you combine that with um we were we're going back and forth, I don't know, was it like last week or the week before around like margin debt. So like debt levels in general, but also specifically yeah. margin debt. I know you had, you came back to me with some like quote unquote witty uh, response that was like, is uh, debt only matters when everything goes down, right? Yeah. But when we all know, everybody knows, even the people that are calling this uh, a bull market, like a, the start of bull. I think everybody knows that things have got to, they have no, to correct. Dougals, that to- guy doesn't know. No, That guy doesn't know. That guy thinks when i say everybody i'm not talking about that guy that guy is not part of everybody let's be clear like something's going to drop at some point and we're we're at record record uh, margin debt levels and i feel like that guy's probably his 500 was was actually on margin with robin hood oh yeah and absolutely. and now he's like i'm at 20 grand what can i turn 20 grand into that's going to become millions so let me just get out more margin uh, it's it's crazy like i'm it's that that man is what scares me
1: yeah and it should right and so i'm gonna hit your next quiz item is uh do you know what was the breast predictor of stock performance year to date you have any idea no idea the price per share so we can talk in a little bit about why the price per share means absolutely nothing because whatever your market cap is you pick a random number to divide it by you create the number of shares and so you could effectively hit your share price but is the this the folks, small cap?
0: Is it because like small caps are taken off? Is that basically what you're? It's trying It's not.
1: To... No, it's not even small cap. Oh, not I'll even market cap. Just price per share. It's not. It's price per share. I'll sing you this. Uh, James McIntosh, Let me get the name right. In uh, In Wall Street Journal had an awesome article this week, and he broke down. He did an analysis of best performance stock, basically to prove the insanity. The insanity right now, and uh, stocks that are performing best are simply. Basically priced less than a dollar, followed by stocks that are priced between one and two dollars. Um, and again, absolutely meaningless. That doesn't mean the company's small. That doesn't mean the company's large. It probably means the company had a troubled past, and we can talk about GameStop and everything else, the craziness that happened there this week.
0: So, so let me let me let me jump in. Double Dutch. I see why you say it's meaningless, right? Because it doesn't have anything to do with fundamentals, yeah. but it does have to do with the with the psychology of the market and the people that are in the market, right? So it's not, it's, it's meaningful at the macro level for what's happening in the market, because your, your people are logging into Robinhood, probably forgot their password, had to go forget password. No offense to those people. People are logging into their Robinhood and they're saying like, I have $16, how do I get the most shares? And you find the thing that you can buy the most shares with, right? Or, and, or you do a mental math where you're like, most stocks are at $20. So if this thing that's 20 cents goes to $20, now I'm at like 50x. So so I see why you're saying meaningless, but that that says a lot about about the uh the state of the like macro market right now.
1: Yeah, I think we can debate how you articulate uh the disconnect from true value or whatever. Uh that that means, but you're exactly right. That's what it says to me. It says it's people who don't understand I think you have to hypothesize that People, uh, uneducated, maybe average investors might think that a stock that trades for a dollar a share is a better value or a smaller company or something than a stock that trades for a hundred dollars a share or a stock that trades for a hundred thousand dollars a share. Um, we know that's not true. And I don't know if we wanna dive into a little further explanation on why that is, but I, it's just another thing, like I mentioned earlier, Everything is screaming, this is crazy. Um, there's, there's no sense in the market right now.
0: So two things. I think one, uh, last week we talked about Howard Marks, founder, co-founder of uh, Oak Tree Capital. He, I think he accidentally justified this.
1: In which book or writing? In the
0: most important thing. Because in the most important thing, he says um, that risk arises when markets go so high that prices imply losses. So hear me out. Does that also mean that risk falls when prices go so low <laughs> that it implies gains
1: <laughs> oh uh, so you just joined the herd here you're, you're one of the crazies these days <laughs> i'm i'm just i'm just executing what i'm reading bro i mean a penny stock goes to zero just like other stocks go to zero and and it goes to zero a lot quicker uh in a lot of cases uh we also exchanged some literature this week right non-profitable technology index from goldman um at an all-time high, like a factor of four greater than, uh, what they've tracked previously, uh, us junk bond yield at all-time highs. I I don't even know what to do anymore. I guess. I don't know if I should decide to scream from the Hilltops to try and save people that don't understand what's happening right now. Or if I should just, uh, think about what it means for like my friends, family, colleagues that I, um, help with some of these things what are we supposed to do here
0: you I mean you know i spent most of q3 and all of q4 last year screaming from rooftops and soap boxes all the ones that would, were given to me which are yeah. all in my home because we are in a pandemic but <laughs> so and no, no nothing's listening i don't think i don't think uh trying to save the market is going to work right now and yeah if you recall the Dougal's indicator saying this isn't the year although Dougals himself is saying this very well might be the year
1: All right. So let's, let's revisit that. Actually, if you don't mind switch gears, I'm sure we'll talk about, um, overvaluations, not only in the rest of this episode, but in coming weeks as well. But, uh, you have a pretty interesting proprietary trademark. Um, I think there's patent pending on this too. Dougal's indicator, right? The
0: patent's so pending it hasn't been filed.
1: (laughs) Uh, for those who didn't listen last week, give us a quick overview, and uh, I think we'll continue to t- check in here as your uh, hypothesis forms, but talk to us about what you're thinking at the moment.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, so for one, I'll just say this is a, I'd classify this under the bucket of like academically fun, right? Exercise to kind of look at. So basically, I had this, uh, I had this thought, and I said, what if we looked at how the average stock or the median... To be, to be technical, the median stock is performing relative to the market, right? And in theory, you should say that because if you look at all stocks across the market, that the median stock should perform against the market. Like it should be, it should be around one, like in theory, pure academic theory. And so I was just curious as to what that looked like over time. And what I found basically was if you look at what the, the median stock over the past like 50 years uh, what that was relative to the market and the change in it. So if you look at the, like the last high to where it is, like what's that change? That there's an interesting, I think there's, there's an interesting correlation between uh, the median stock performing at about half of what the overall market. So the median stock relative to the market is 0.5, and being at the like the top of the markets. It flagged in 1973, 1974, in 1987 through 90, which is interesting because that's a lot of years, uh, and then in 19 in 2000. And then 2008, yeah. 2009. And so this year it started to spike a bit, right? But it, yeah. but it wasn't quite there at the beginning of the year.
1: Yeah. So you said 0.5 might be a trigger. What is it now? Uh, right now it's like it 0. 6 0. 0. 68.
0: It was at 0.68. Is okay. at 0.68? Oh, the so of almost 0.7. Um,
1: yeah. So the Dougal's indicator is not screaming overvalued. I mean, I think the best advice I've heard here is no one metric is the um, appropriate. You know, there's no one predictor, but if you see 10 of them that are all saying something similar, then you start to make conclusions from that.
0: But it's like, it's basically just realizing the time that we're in going back to something you've said a lot where uh, you have to match the investment thesis, investment philosophy to the investor, right. And make sure that fits. I think just knowing what time we're in allows you to say like, how do I want to operate in this time? do I want to be more risk averse? Do I want to be more tolerant? Like, right. And I think all these indicators are just saying we are in a frothy place, whether that, that, go ahead.
1: Now. So the Skippy indicator is a deep value screen. Ben Graham socks, defensive investors stocks chapter 14 of the intelligent investor for those reading along at home. I run, I run this every year for, gosh, 15 years now, it, you're typically going to get somewhere between 10 to 30 stocks. Um, I'd say average is maybe 15. I just ran it uh, last week. Uh, right now, there's one stock in the US market that meets the screen. Am I right, right? How much froth is that? It's different than your metric. It's just a, your metric might have a gauge of the overall market. This is just showing you the bottom cheapest corner of the market, like how full that is. And there's one stock there. Um, this is definitely a Dougal's play because it reminds me so much of China Mobile. It's called Telephone Data Systems. Press to book value of 0.5. Like this thing is dirt cheap. Um, I can bring up all the metrics if we want. But uh, that is the Skippy indicator for the week. And it's, uh, yeah, things are th- crazy. Here's what,
0: here's, here's what I think is scariest. If you go back, uh, talk. Let's, so a couple things, margin debt right? Highest, $800 billion, something like that. Highest that it's ever been. Second is that person making their TikTok video. Epitome of of just like the market has gone insane. So those are two things. Those are two things. That's not my boy. No, (laughs) that's not my boy. But so those are two things. Um, Then there's the, I think it was two weeks ago, you were going through like the 10 fundamental indicators that all point to this is craziness, including CAPE, price to earnings, uh, price to cash flow, everything. There's all that, but if you, and not, but, and if you take the, um, the Dougal's indicator and the Skippy indicator, right. And put them together, you know what that says to me? (laughs) No idea. You can't, you can't read the mentals. So what that says to me is that the overall market, right. Basically the floor is overvalued. Yes. And we're not yet at the top. If you put those two things, to, I'm just just reading them purely. And Ooh. if you put those two things together, mixed in with the margin debt and unemployment, like when this falls,
1: it is insane. Like because oh, it's, it's gonna, gonna fall through the floor. It's gonna yeah. fall through the floor. But here's the deal: when it falls, um, goose pimples. <laughs> when it when it falls, I'm gonna be held, holding uh, international stocks. I think. What, what percent of your portfolio is international versus us oh Douglas, it's so hard in in my like boring retirement funds uh 60 percent in my okay, so 60, more active 40. investing um i'm typically u.s based if i can get value in the u.s because the u.s has uh competitive advantages over the rest of the world right you know like yeah. if you can find value in the u.s it makes sense but when the us is frothy i think it starts to make sense to go international so to build on this idea if you're the people that don't know how to invest if you've been telling them to buy target target date funds like i have um in certain situations and you realize that the real expected return is less than two percent there um i'm really struggling for the people that maybe don't understand buying international value stocks or um buying factor-based etfs you know like a more sophisticated strategy, I just really don't know what to tell these people. Because odds are your average person, if they get 2% returns over like the next decade, are gonna panic and try and change their strategy at a time that's probably absolutely worse for them to do that, right?
0: Like this is this is a time period I know. Um, we've discussed the like, do you do you throw it all in or do you dollar cost average before like yeah. co- dollar cost averaging index funds that you buy every month, so you can average out the tops, bottoms this is a time where I actually think dollar cost averaging makes sense.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, uh, that's a, uh, I think that's a reasonable speculation again, like historically that hasn't been the case because the stock market goes up more than it goes down, but historic valuations, right. I'm going to go hardcore. Like I'm going to dive into value stocks, uh, both international and in the U S and one thing we could debate is like my typical strategy is buy deep value. And I'm perfectly fine with highly concentrated holdings. So if I get like five stocks that meet my criteria, I'm perfectly fine with the diversification that only comes with five stocks. I know most people should not be, but I understand the risk there. But when one stock meets my screen, I would like to pick your brain on the best approaches for diversification there. Yeah, Mine is actually simple and boring.
0: So I actually have in my model, if zero stocks, cause there are some years where nothing has yeah. mapped it, it's very few. But uh, if zero stocks or just one stock comes through, I put 50% of that year's allocation in that stock and 50% of VTI. And it's more diversification than my model typically has, right? Because it's a concentration is actually a core part of the, the model. I only buy yep. up to six stocks a year, but that's what I do. And it's, um, for, for me, that's more of a, it's just a downside risk mitigator if that yeah. one stock goes wrong
1: wait wait so when your screen only brings back one stock and you buy that in vti um you still have a bunch of legacy holdings right in theory i should but the thing is that um because there's also
0: sell criteria that fits into into my model so i think in your model correct me if i'm wrong in yours you replace all stocks every year is that it's correct? basically
1: a rebalancing yeah, yeah. so yeah
0: yeah I, I don't i don't replace all stocks every year And so the way the way that mine works is if a if a stock starts to languish or if a stock um, actually overperforms for too long, then it sells Um, all the value of that stock then gets redistributed. And so it could be a year where just to make this up, let's say that I'm doing a thousand dollars a year. Right. Let's say I'm throwing a thousand dollars a year in. Um, It could be a year that I'm only investing a thousand dollars such that 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 one stock actually would not be that big of a deal, but it could be a year. Where my largest holding, which can get up to 30, 40% of my portfolio, that largest holding could have gotten sold because it was overperforming. And yes. that largest holding could then be just be going into one stock. And that's the situation in down, to, to manage the downside risk where I stay, where I say I need to diversify.
1: Does that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, all right. No, it makes perfect sense. So, oh. um, and I like that philosophy. I try and keep it to five. And so my question right now is where only one meets my screen, I should try, say I try and keep it to at least five. I can, what I've done historically, I, I think the least that I've ever met the criteria is like three. So I bought those three, 20% each, and then I bought 40% of uh, GVAL, right? Because that's gonna, it's a diversified strategy to buy that's international. Well. Is that MEBs? Uh, that's MEBs, Meb's right? Yeah. Okay. Deep value. So, but where there's only- I'm Sorry,
0: for, for those that aren't familiar, MEB Faber
1: they're they're all pros by now doodles uh, so what i'm debating this time around is uh i will definitely get some g val i just don't know that i want 80 percent of my strategy for this year to be in g val i mean i i like it i i hold it in other things i hold it in like my kids college fund and it's it's perfectly fine but i do like the concentration that comes with us deep value and so i'm considering stretching my criteria a little um to try and take in a few more stocks that are still dirt cheap uh but not like rigidly cheap you know like if the price to book is 0.17 instead of 0.15 um although that's not my preferred approach what do you you think about this i I don't know do you you really want to play around with that i mean it
0: just it it just feels like you're you're trying you're desperately seeking susan right now I don't know if you've seen that Madonna movie from the 1980s up to you guys. Um, but I know it just seems like you're, you're trying to find something to buy just to get the the capital out there. Yeah, no, that, and, and that's, so yeah. I'm next thing. I'm I know you're going to be on TikTok, TikTok video. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, I, I wouldn't start, I wouldn't start unless you've done it in the past, right? If that's a, no, if a part of your strategy. I, I've and never wavered. It, I've never no, wavered. I wouldn't, I wouldn't fluctuate then. I would just stick with it. Um, I think buying just one stock is a like I I wouldn't do that. I think you do need to you need to have something alongside it. But the the issue I guess is with GVAL is a uh, it's only it's XUS,
1: right? It's only international? Yep. Well, no, actually, it's the it's basically the five cheapest stock markets in the world. If the US was one of those, it would own US stocks. The US is just not <laughs> going to be one of those anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. When when the <laughs> When the
0: U.S. is on the global value ETF and that guy's on TikTok, we know the world is coming to an end. <laughs> like my gut reaction is that that feels like you're just buying, you're buying cheap, like which as much as I call your, your model garbage, like it's not pure like cheapness, not right. Yeah, and yeah. and what, you, what you're saying is, I think, I don't know exactly what goes into um, what flags for MEB if it's purely cheap, but I think it is close to, to that. And you're saying, like, instead of buying deep value, you're going to buy deep cheap international.
1: Uh, so okay, here we go. Uh, Gval, here's the fund statistics: uh, price to book value 0. 0.9, price to sales 0.74, price to cash flow 4.9. You know how incredible that is: price to cash flow 4.9, <laughs> dividend yield 3%. Like, that is uh. Again, I hear what you're saying about cheap versus value, but there's some value there. Let me pull right. up. Is, is is Poland in it? Uh, How much is Poland?
0: 65%?
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> I'll get back to you on that. So here's another option, right? Uh, my boys at Alpha Architect run QVAL, which is a quantitative value fund. Uh, this is US-based. Now, compare some of these statistics. Price to book, 2.2. Uh, price to cash flow, 5.9, dividend yield, 1.4. So I can supplement with US only uh, value stocks, right? But when I looked at QVAL, basically, QVAL, I'd rather stretch my criteria a little because if I stretch my criteria a little, I'm still getting more deep value than even QVAL, the ETF is at the moment. With GVAL though, that's like, that's dirt cheap all around. That's the cheapness I can't find in the U S and that, so that's why I know my next rebalance will include a significant portion of G Val. I'm just not sure if it'll be 80% of what I invest. Yeah. So I, two things like zooming out, right? High level, um, yeah. two things I
0: would say is one, I think it's probably worth just uh, like sitting down and qualitatively writing out five bullets of, if you haven't, right? of like why it, you yeah. do what you do right and then and then see if it matches to that that's the first thing i'd say the second is the reason that um or maybe a primary reason that i buy vti uh in mine is because that's the benchmark that i look at like if i didn't if i didn't have a um if i didn't build out my model right i would tell myself just to buy vti because vti is the thing i'm trying to beat like it's my benchmark and so basically, I buy my benchmark. If I don't have my benchmark's
1: apart. Bitcoin, man, like like that's a... uh, you're, you're losing out. <laughs> you should I totally, hear, you should I totally hear what you're saying. And so before, like I poop all over it, like just I hear what you're saying. Um, that makes sense. Um, if because. The FOMO aspect of investing that makes it so hard, which is a psychological piece, is like, oh, everyone else is making this. So, if you're everyone else is making VTI, then then that makes sense. But, man, a lot of people that aren't you are going to have benchmarks that don't make any sense with that philosophy, right? Like my global or my benchmark is not like Russell 2000 value fund or I mean, there, there is a lot of cheap crap in, in Russell 2000 Valley, you know, like the, the stuff with no insight that just gets called value as an index is not value investing in my eyes. It's not like no brainer. Like they have more assets than the actual current market value of their company. So it's, almost impossible to lose money you know that those are two different things um but i hear you i just would caution people that aren't doodles with that approach or maybe with that approach you just say your average know-nothing investor should buy spy and should do nothing else and that's a reasonable approach so i guess i can go both ways
0: yeah i get that and that's what i not spy but vti which are very similar right because the yeah. That like, I don't know what the actual number is, but it's something like 90% of the US market is the S&P 500 when it comes to market capitalization. It's something yes. like that. And so it's, it's, you know, it's a little bit beyond that. But I would, I do think that the average investor should just buy the overall market. Like that is my, um, and so that's the thing that I, I position against because it's hard to beat. Like the overall market is very, very difficult to beat. I mean, for for you, <laughs> You don't want me to pull up my multiples. You don't want me to pull out my
1: multiples.
0: <laughs> All no, right, but so, so yeah, but
1: seriously. I know you have some fishbowl
0: stuff. We don't want to sit on this for too long, but we would be remiss if we did not go this week without talking about the fact that somewhere in rural China on a Zoom,
1: Jack Ma made a quote-unquote appearance. <laughs> Um, All right, so Jack Ma, yeah, I mean, I saw a photo, I continue to be skeptical of anything related to Jack Ma, but this is the best story. Um, I mean, my eyes just light up every time I see the latest tweet with some Jack Ma news. I was just scrolling through
0: books trying to figure out what I was going to read next and came across his autobiography. You know what the title is? (laughs) No. Never give up. (laughs) I was like, Jack, you're speaking to me from, from inside the cave. <laughs> so good. Um, yeah. So we, we, we'd be uh, remiss. Cause we brought that up a couple of times, but Jack Ma's apparently back somewhere. He didn't hold up a newspaper, but he, uh, <laughs> but he was back. Somewhere.
1: And you never got your poop emoji either. So no, I,
0: I didn't, I did not. The other thing is uh, in, in Howard Mark's book, the same one that we talked about earlier, the most important thing, he, he brings up how, like market performance, market prices, result from a mix of psychology, and then uh, fundamentals or technicals. And I think that, that that isn't rocket science, necessarily. I think a lot of people, like, if you say that, they go, yeah, sure. Like, that, that makes a lot of sense. But when I started thinking about it, second order thinking, okay, I'm gonna talk about my second order thinking. Second level. Second level thinking. Yeah. Um, when in, I started right? thinking about it. I think I think it's really fascinating, because in a lot of times, you might look at different people's like investment philosophies, or, you know, risk tolerance and see them on completely different planes. But I actually think that one way to look at it is, is what percent of someone's philosophy is based on market psychology? And what percent of someone's philosophy is based on
1: market fundamentals? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I love this. So the most important thing is one of my favorite books, I think it's just incredibly underrated. And it's, The reason I have so much respect for Howard Marks, for sure. Um, But if you go back to the TikTok guy, right? Like, as much as I make fun of the TikTok guy, momentum investing does work. It's worth understanding and exploring. And he doesn't, I mean, again, I'm not trying to rip on the guy, but he doesn't understand necessarily why it works, or he's not thinking about the psychological aspect of how he's been able to have a few decent months. But his... Uh, methodology is almost 100% based on the psychological component, herd mentality of people buying things that are going up. Right? No, he doesn't have a methodology. <laughs> okay. <His Well>, <laughs> Alright, that was a stretch.
0: Yeah. yeah. Now the uh, I, I know what you're trying to say though. It's like <laughs> the the reason why he can make money, the reason why happenstance and luck has allowed him to make money right now, is because of market psychology. That. Yes, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, he probably thinks it's fundamentals. Like it was, it reminds me of uh how, when was this? I want to say it was like 10, 15 years ago in the uh, March Madness, in the March Madness tournament for college basketball. Yeah. It was the year when there was some team that it, it could have been, uh, it could have been like V Tech or it could have been George Mason maybe. There was, there was like a team that had no business like going where it, where it went yeah. to. Was that the same year that Bucknell beat Kansas? Uh different year, I think. But anyway, George Mason was like a 10 seed, and they went to the final four. Or something like that. But I think there were, there were two things that happened. I feel like it was the year that Bucknell beat Kansas, and then something else happened, so it might not have been George Mason. But okay. someone in the uh, ESPN uh, bracket pool had a perfect bracket, right? And ESPN was interviewing this guy, and he was like, well, I knew Bucknell was going to take down Kansas, because if you watch game six of the regular season, I was like, come on, <laughs> like, this is not th- that is, if you ever have hindsight bias, and you want to know what it looks like, listen to the interview with that guy. But that's exactly <laughs> what, what this dude is going like he, if you ask him why he made the picks he did, right, he's probably going to bring up something about how uh, Tesla its current valuation around like in the EV, mar- EV car market Hey, that's not what you should be looking at. You should be looking at when they have self-driving cars and obviously that's going to, you know, whatever, come on, dude. Like, don't give me, don't give me that garbage.
1: Oh, <laughs> I don't know what to say to that.
0: <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so I, I, just, I thought that was really interesting and it made me start thinking about uh, the difference between like our models, mine being, as I call long-term mo- uh, momentum and yours yeah. being more value that mine plays a lot more into the psychology of the market than, than yours does. And implicitly, taking advantage of momentum, I think generally is saying that you're riding a wave of psychology in the market. Um, I'm not looking at cash flow. I'm not looking at earnings. I'm not looking at anything. Like the only thing that I use to calculate are prices of stocks and then the returns that come from that relative to the market.
1: No, but as a thought exercise, this is so interesting because we debated earlier, like is yours, is yours more psychology and less technicals uh, or fundamentals and, and is mine the flip side? Probably so, but there's an aspect, even though I'm heavily reliant on fundamentals and like deep value, there's still a psychological component in there because the core hypothesis of most value investing has to do with mean reversion, right? So it's like the fair price to book of this stock is two and it traded up to three. And then it came all the way down to 0.7. Well, I'm buying it at a 0.7, knowing that I think it's going to, head back up to two at some point. And I'm probably gonna sell it when it gets to two. Um, So there's a psychological aspect to that too, potentially. Now you could just say, no, that's just, um, that's just going to true value. You know, like that's just, you know what something's actually worth and you know that it's worth half of that now and that's when you buy it. I know we've talked a
0: lot about uh, like froth and bubbles this time around. So let me throw, I'm gonna throw out one lyric. Have you read Fooled by Randomness? Yes. Yeah. There was something he, um, I don't have the quote, but uh, but Taleb, who wrote um, uh, Black Swan, um, also wrote this book, Fooled by Randomness, which is, he basically spends the book just trashing anybody that thinks that the market isn't random, and that believes that they can have any sort of model, <laughs> effectively. He's a derivative yes. trader, I think, by uh, by practice, yes. but but um, just a skeptic in reality. Uh, but I, I, I find it to be entertaining and, and also intellectually uh, stimulating. He... He basically compares bubbles to Russian roulette. Let's say that someone someone says uh, Russian roulette. If, if people don't know, is a it's a game. I don't know what you want to call it. It's a prac. I don't know. It's a practice. Um, but if you have, a, let's say you have a, a a gun that has six bullets in it, right? But you just put um, a one bullet in, then you have a twenty percent chance or whatever that is, little under like eighteen percent chance, whatever that ends up being, yeah. of of getting shot, right? And um, and he's saying, what if you played Russian roulette and someone said, if the bullet doesn't go off, you get $10 million, right? And so someone bullet doesn't go off, you get $10 million, right? Yeah. And if you compare that to somebody that does do something that's more uh, methodical and gets $10 million, an accountant will basically say, well, both people have $10 million. So it's the same, right? But if you look in a, in a bubble and you take a TikTok guy, right, who's in his margin debt screaming from the rooftops about, about whatever size so penny stocks he's buying and he yeah. gets his $10 million dollars. He's actually just playing Russian roulette, and the next time he tries that, you don't want to hit the death
1: line. No, so I mean, Russian roulette guy and Bitcoin guy are are the same guy right now. Um, again, I understand the the so called investment hypothesis of Bitcoin. Um, I I strongly believe it's a speculation and not an investment. But let's use that same analogy, right? Uh, two people with a thousand bucks make investments. One guy. Uh, 5 years later has 40k cuz he spent it in bit he so called invested in bitcoin another guy used like buffett style quantitative whatever to get his investments to 40k well when the bullet shoots or the wheel stops or whatever right uh the one guy has like ownership of real companies that that build real assets or provide real services that pay dividends that have positive cash flows that it, like he owns something and i don't even want to i'm not trying to piss the bitcoin people off but the other guy owns like some what does he own some lines of code that other people believe to be valid <laughs> he he doesn't have a company he doesn't have people working for him creating real value every day i'll leave it at that again i'm not trying to
0: and he forgot his password (laughs) the strange thing is when we talk in a week you're gonna be telling me you're a bitcoin guy you're gonna be like i I bought my one stock and then the rest of it i split 50 50 between g value and bitcoin
1: i yeah uh, obviously password doogles